Hello and welcome back to another episode of Sex and Life. It's a podcast that looks at sex and, and how it interacts with our lives and daily basis. We're on location today with Andrew Morrison Gerza. Hey everybody. Hi. And of course, as always, we have uh, the producer Joe here. Always happy to be here. Now, the reason we had to come to uh, to Andrew's place is because he couldn't do the stairs in our place. And not because he's lazy, but why don't you tell us why? Well, I'm also, I'm, I'm a person with a disability, so I couldn't get my awesome chair into the place where the stairs are. It's because Joe's a fascist and has not built an elevator. Where's the ramp, man? Come he's... on, figure it out. <laughs> for your information, I'm only going to build it for other fascists. <laughs> Amazing. So, Andrew, uh, just a bit of background, if you will. Yeah. Uh, uh, a lot of us are are ignorant about different disabilities. Not yes. ignorant in the rude way, but just unknowledgeable. Yes. So, what is cerebral palsy? Cerebral palsy is brain damage at birth. So, when I was born, I was born three months early. So, I was what's known as a three-month preemie. And I was born with a lack of oxygen to my brain, to my motor cortex. So, I was born unable to... Basically, for me, it just means that I'm unable to walk. Everything else works. And I do mean everything. And, um... I'm just unable to walk and unable to do a lot of the normal daily living things, like get dressed and all that stuff, but it really doesn't affect me any other way. So it's not something you can catch. It's not something to be scared of. It's not a virus. So would it be more of a genetic thing? Not really. It's just, it's by chance, really. If there's something that happens during the birth that causes, could cause brain damage, cerebral palsy is something that can occur. Mm -hmm. Cerebral palsy is brain damage... From birth, as opposed to adolescence, which is brain damage during your teen years. That's yes, exactly. Just want to be clear on that one. <laughs> yeah. What are some of the other misconceptions about cerebral palsy? People think that you have a mental delay. People think that you can't think for yourself. When people see me rolling around in my chair, they assume that I sometimes was in an accident. So I'll often get, hey man, what happened to you? And I'll be like, nothing, I'm good, how are you? And they'll be like, so what happened? Are you, did it really, did, was that car accident tough? And I'm like, no, I don't know what you're talking about. Um, did you get the other guy as good as he got you? Yeah. So, you know, sometimes I'll, when I was younger, in my youth, I, I would play with people and say, yeah, I was hanging out with this dude and then we had such rough sex, this happened. You know, I would make, That's funny. I, would now, make, yeah, I remember Robot Chicken did a joke like that. Why is Ken uh, Barbie paralyzed? Well, they had really rough sex. And then yeah. two Barbie dolls going at him and punches the other too hard. And <laughs> you know, it's just little... Things I remember from that show. Such a good show. It was little yeah. little things like that that, uh, that I, humor is a big thing for me. If I can make somebody relax about my disability, then it's great. And if I can make them see that what they're asking me is ridiculous by through humor, without being rude, just saying, like, here's what it is. Don't be an idiot. It's all right. Do you like the word disabled? Or do you like the word handicapped? Is, is there, like, um, some kind of, like, that's a fucking offensive word to well, use for me. I don't know if you can see the hat over there on the counter for the listeners. It says cripple. Yeah, it's a big hat that says cripple. <laughs> I'm fully aware of my... Uh, Disability. I know what it means. I know what it is. I'm not going to pretend. I know what the word cribble is, but it's like fag. It's like mm. queer. All those words have been reclaimed. Why can't we start using the word cribble as a... So I'm using that as... I'm turning that around for myself mm-hmm. and saying, fuck you, I know what it is. Let's, 
laugh about it together. Now, would you want the different terms to have any different meanings? Like, would you want a handicap to identify differently as a cripple? Um, can you rephrase the question? Uh, sure. Well, um, the discussion that we had uh, with our previous guest um, was with an escort, but uh, she didn't identify with hooker or prostitute the same way. Those words, they had different meanings. So can you see taking back all these words and then dividing what which word means what? Um, you could. I think for me, it's just a personal choice. Like, sure. Now, when I do this work, I will call myself a queer cripple because I... Because that's, that's what I consider myself. But I wouldn't... I was advised when I say that at lectures and stuff. I'm like, don't go down the street yelling cripple to the guy in the chair. They're not going to like that. But I think for each person, it's an individual choice. You can call yourself handicapped. You can call yourself disabled. Whatever makes you feel comfortable. Um, it really depends. I prefer cripple because it's in your face. Mm-hmm. And it makes people like, whoa, that's really... I'm not sure how to categorize that. Okay, what do I do with this? It's just a term of empowerment for me. Kind of take the power before they take it. Yeah. Oh, has, have you taken any like physical therapy? Has it helped at all? When I was younger, I did physical therapy. I do a little bit right now. Um, I have a machine that I stand in just behind us there. This big standing machine. Sometimes I'll go in there, but I mean, it's never going to lessen my level of disability. So by going in that, I'm not going to be like, yeah, I'm going to walk tomorrow. It's going to totally happen. That's just not part of my reality. So nothing that I do will help the CP. It will make me feel better, but it's not going to help the, C- the CP in any way. And the CP is not degenerative. It's not something that's going to get worse. It's static, luckily. So I'm, you know, this is what it is. This is my reality. and I'm more than okay with that. And do you suffer a lot of pain with it? I've read that it can be painful. There's pain, I mean, there, but there's pain with everything, so there's no more or less pain than if someone was having a rough day and their muscles are sore. Um, you do, you definitely have to take care of yourself and make sure that you're okay, but I mean, there's nothing, there's no pain that's so different from how I'm feeling sore today. So there's nothing like having like a broken limb? Um, not for me. There, there are people that, that have, I have spastic quadriplegia, which means it affects all, the CP affects all my limbs, and it makes me, as you guys can see as I'm sitting here, my muscles are tight, they're a bit tense. Mm-hmm. When I talk to you, my muscles tense up. That's just a natural... I thought that was just because you're butch. Well, that too. I'm super... I'm, I'm <laughs> Jack. But I mean, <laughs> um, it just... It's the way my muscles respond to the disability. So, for some people, the CP goes the other way. It's... They become relaxed. They're very atonic. They have no tone. I have a lot of tone, so I'm tense all the time, mm-hmm. which keeps the muscles nice and firm, but some people can't do that, so they're relaxed, they're floppy. There's really a lot of variations on the CP. It really depends on the level of brain damage and the level of um, lack of oxygen at birth. But I was lucky enough that I can talk and think and my speech is unaffected, so I'm, I was good that way. Now, you've you've been on TV, you've been on podcasts, you've been in... in uh, in the papers, yeah. Huffington Post, and uh, there was another Toronto paper that you had just done, a, the Now, the now, the now Magazine, and you use this term, deliciously disabled. Yep. Uh, that uh, is, that's a term that I, I was looking for something really cool to 
do for the Now magazine. They wanted me to, they asked me how I described myself. And I was going to do Queer Cribble, and then I thought, no, I want something different. I want to, let's, if I'm going to do this and it's going to be all over Toronto, let's use a term that's going to really change the game. So I just threw in Deliciously Disabled, and I, and it kind of took off from there. And that, that's a term for me that's really cool, because it's a different way of looking at disability. Oftentimes, if we ever talk about disability, it's generally from a medical standpoint, like we have to fix you because you're disabled, mm. or it's from a, oh, Johnny's in a chair, it's so sad, let's, have, let's feel sorry for him. No, I'm fully aware that I have a disability, and I'm fully aware that this is my life, and why can't we change the narrative so that it's fun and open and different and and sexy? And why So deliciously disabled embodies all that for me. Uh, you're gay, right? Yes. All the way gay? Yes. Not even boobies? Not even boobies. Uh, <laughs> They're nice to look at, but I don't want to play with them. <laughs> um, now, I mean, you grew up having cerebral palsy. Yes. Which I'm sure put up some barriers. Did growing up gay add to that? Was it, was it ever really a factor? When I was a young kid, I came out at 15, and it was funny, the way I came out was really sweet, actually. I had read all the literature when I was 15, about coming out, and they tell you not to come out in a car, don't go out at Christmas, mm. don't go out during a family gathering. So I read all this stuff, which didn't help, but actually freaked me out more. And I was freaking out yeah. about this kind of stuff. And so I decided to... I decided that I was going to come out on my 16th birthday because I was watching all those, like, coming-of-age teen films where you come out and, like, you fall in love with the high school sports jock. So I decided that it would be really cool to come out at 16 and then magically the high school sports doctor would see that I'm hot and we'd go on a date or whatever, some stupid thing. So, two weeks before my 16th birthday, I hadn't spoken to anybody. I was all morose in my house. I was all freaking out because I read, read all this literature and I knew the day was coming and, oh my God, how am I going to do it? And one day my mom was at the was at the sink and we were fighting because I hadn't spoken to anybody. She's like, what's wrong with you? Are you gay or something? And I went, mm-hmm. yeah, actually. And so after that, we rented... Priscilla, Queen of the Desert, and, and then she was like, look, this could be, you know, this is what you want, this could be what you could do, and I was like, mom, no, that's not, no, not. so, but it was really sweet, because my family was really, really accepting, I think what the hardest part for me, coming out as, as gay was not hard, that was pretty easy, coming out as queer and disabled, and identifying both of those identities was difficult, so when I turned 19, I moved away to school, and I started going to the gay bars, I started doing all this stuff, and I realized that there was no place for me. I had no representation. Gay men and the queer community didn't know how to navigate all of this. And that was really hard for me, coming out as both. Apparently, you have a very funny story about your first time having sex. Is it a funny, <laughs> funny story? Or? Um, well, it's a, it's a little bit sad, actually. The first, first time I had sex. Um, but I have a funny story. Which one do you want me to tell? we got time for them both. All right. So let's start with the sad one and then we'll... we'll... Bring up the mood after yeah, that. No, don't tell me which is the sad one, which is the funny one. Amazing. <laughs> Mix right. it up. So, <laughs> so when I was 19, I had just moved away from home. And it was around the same time that I started going to all the gay bars. And I met this. I went on... I wasn't at the bar. I went online to a gay chat site, and I was just looking for people to hang out with. My roommate at the time was a big horn dog, and he's like, what are you doing? And I was like, I'm looking for dudes. And he goes, no, 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 you're doing it wrong. Type in that you want a blowjob. And I was like, okay. So I typed it into the thing, and within 10 minutes, I had all these responses. 
And so I started talking to this guy who's really good looking, and he had agreed to come over. I'd never done anything with the guy before, and I lied through my teeth. He's like, you've done this before, right? I was like, yeah, totally, a bunch of times, I'm good. <laughs> never before I lied. So he came over, and we started messing around, and I finished early, because I'd never been stimulated like that before, so I was like, okay. So I finished within two minutes, it was all done, but I figured that we were together, so I was like, all right, well, I guess since you made me come, we're boyfriends now, so let's go for coffee, let's do what I, what I assumed that couples would do. And then he said, well, do you see your chair? And I said, yeah. And he said, well, I actually just came by because I felt bad for you. Um, and you, you were just a pity fuck. So thanks That's for rough. that. And he left. And that kind of really, that really shaped how I thought about myself at that point. Because I was like, well, wow, my, my disabilities, if this is what it is, if this is how my experiences are going to be, I don't want to do that anymore. Um... That was the sad story. Yeah, that okay. definitely was the <laughs> um, The funny one is one that I've talked about a lot. I met this dude online a couple, um, about six, seven years ago, and he was from the UK, and I have a thing for accents. I was all, he was in my university town visiting. And we met online, and we started talking, and he goes, oh, well, what are you doing tonight? And I was like, oh, nothing. He's like, well, why don't I stop by? I'm just close by. I was like, okay, sure. So he comes over, and we did the thing. It was great. We had a good time. And then, when we were done, he goes, oh, I have to just go have a peek, and I use your bathroom. I said, of course. And you guys remember the university layout. So, my room, my roommate's room, common area, and a bathroom. So, he closed the door to the common area. He was totally naked. Closed the door to the common area. But when he closed my door, he locked himself out of my room. I'm in the bed, in what I like to refer to as the dead turtle position. So, I'm on my back. <laughs> I'm on my back like this, unable to move. Because of the disability, mm. I have no phone and nothing to co- get anybody. Because If the listeners are picturing a turtle, you're on the right track. Yeah, basically, picture a turtle on the back. So I'm in the dead turtle position, um, unable to move, and this person, he's outside of my, apart- of my room trying to get in, naked in the common area, and I'm laughing my head <laughs> off because I can't help him. And he's, Oi, can you let me in? And I was like, No, I really can't. I'd love to. He's like, You're getting four eggs and lives and trying to jimmy the door open, and you just can't do it. <laughs> <laughs> and I can't help but meanwhile my boner's raging and I'm trying to be really cool about it and really relax can't do it and so then <laughs> so then I said to him okay get some linens from my closet just out there and go knock on my neighbor's door he's a friend of mine he'll laugh his ass off but he'll let you back in <laughs> so he was like okay so he goes and knocks on the door of course my neighbor my friend is not there his roommate is who has no idea why there's a naked man in the hallway knocking on his door <laughs> So he proceeds to call security, <laughs> and security, the security guard, who's also a friend of mine, but didn't know I was queer at the time, or hadn't told him, mm. so he comes and he barges in the door, thinking there's something wrong, meanwhile I have my erection happening, I'm, all, I'm in the bed naked, ready to go, and he's like, oh, that's what you were doing, so <laughs> he left, and then the guy and I continued on for the evening, but it's a funny story, because it just shows how disability can... Really, a, you know, the funny moments where somebody who didn't have a disability would never have to worry about letting somebody back in. But because I was trapped in there, it was kind of funny. <laughs> it's, it's, it's just these little things that we take for granted. Yeah. And it's, uh, it's funny how it sneaks up on you. I just think how funny that scenario would play out if that were in 
a Hollywood comedy. So funny. it's just it's just the right amount of pieces in place that things can't go right. Yeah, but but there's that uh, there's that fear of making fun of certain things because they don't want to trigger the wrong response. They don't want to. They don't want to fetishize, or they don't want to make it. They don't want to make it offensive. But I think when it comes to disability, we have to start talking about it more openly mm. and more realistically. And dude, this is what happens that when you're disabled. Shit like that happens all the time, and it's funny because. That's life. Yeah. Do you feel fetishized? Um, no. It's funny. I wrote an article about this for HuffPost a few months ago. And I talked about how when I was younger, the idea of, of being fetishized by somebody because of my disability grossed me out. There's a bit, there's an, a long-standing issue with fetishism in the community because you don't want to be seen as just the guy in the wheelchair that you're going to mess around with. But, listen, if my wheels are going to get you off, and this is... And I'm pointing to my chair now. Yeah. If this is the thing that is going to, if, if this is the key to unlock the door to how awesome I am and that's going to make you turn your head and, and see me as somebody viable, why not? You, I mean, I like guys with red hair and muscles, so could that not be considered a fetish? So what? Sleeping with a ginger is definitely a fetish because it's almost like sleeping with a dead person. <laughs> they, they have no soul. I, <laughs> I'm reserving comment on that one. So I'm, I'm a, I made a conscious choice many, many episodes ago not to laugh at Eli's jokes. Hasn't right. been hard. <laughs> <laughs> to all my ginger friends. It's been a little hard. I don't support or condone what was just said. You all have souls. I all love you. Um, no, but I think, you know, the, the thing about fetishism and disability, if I can use my disability to make somebody turn their head or think about something differently, and yeah, people are curious. So that's why I think that disability should be more openly viewed in porn, particularly for me as a, as a gay man and gay porn, there's, my body is not currently represented. And I think that's a shame because why can't we look at disability not as a fetish or as a fetish, whatever you want to, however you want to look at it, just look at it in a positive way. And by having that body representation, somebody at home who's also queer and disabled with no representation can look at that and go, wow, yeah, there's me, that's okay, good. I mean, the majority of people learn about sex through porn now. So yep. if you're a queer person with a disability, you're learning the, You're learning by not seeing yourself that your body has no value. It's funny because we, we were talking about Buck Angel earlier. Yeah. And, and I was watching the documentary, uh, Mr. Angel, and he said that it was extremely hard for him to break into the North American market. Of course. When he was in Europe, it was no problem. He... He does a ton of sales in Europe. Yeah, yeah. But in North America, nobody wants to carry him because it's quote unquote too weird. He's he's a niche right now. He's what he's doing and what a lot of people are doing who who are differently abled and have different or, or are deliciously disabled. What they're doing. There's a woman in Toronto, uh, Lori Erickson, who does who produces porn for people with disabilities and buy them. I think that's fantastic. Um, but again, that's it. That's going to struggle to get into large markets because large markets have no experience with disability. And when they're marketing, they want to market the fantasy. So when you see somebody in a chair, that doesn't elicit fantasy. People think, "Oh, you're sick," or "Oh, you can't do this," or "You mm. must be." But what I'd love to see, particularly in queer culture, is okay. So you're going to this really cool club where all these dancers are. Why can't you have one of the one of the ads be a guy in a chair with his big dick out or whatever. However you want to make it sexy, put a guy in a chair or put somebody with a mobility device. Make it something that we can normalize and discuss 
And sure, for a minute, it's going to disrupt your idea of what is sexy, but it's also going to reframe it for you. And you can be like, wow, that's really cool. Um, so I think there's a lot of opportunity there that we're not tapping into. I also think there's a lot that people would be into if they were introduced to it. Yeah, they need to be properly, they need to be given a platform. And that's why I do the work that I do. That's why I write and I talk about it so frankly, because people can then see it and go, I never really considered that before. Um, and I think we just need to give it a platform. So in my work, I have two goals. So I work as a disability awareness consultant, which means I go around and I blog and I write and I discuss all this stuff pretty openly. But my goal is to give people with disabilities who are queer or not a space to have frank, honest discussions, but also give the larger community as a whole a chance to say, I don't know what to do here. This is freaking me out, but I'm curious. Mm -hmm. Continue to guide me. They need to be given a chance to say, I'm fucking scared of this, but I'm curious. What do I do? Because if, if you tell me you're afraid of me or you're afraid of it and I go, well, fuck you, man, you don't get it. What I've done is I've shut you down. I've told, alienated. Yeah, I've told you that you're not, it's not okay to be curious or afraid, that you should just simply accept it. How can you accept it if you have no frame of reference? So my job is to give you a frame of reference that's comfortable and easy and relaxed where you feel like you're part of the conversation. You have a lot of stories like, like the, the UK boy getting locked out? Um, some of them are a little bit sadder than that. That was, that was a high point. That I ha- was hilarious. <laughs> you should, I'm just thinking, like, for, for the, the comedy network, you could, like, pitch them an idea for a sitcom called Deliciously Disabled. <laughs> and right. it's just about you and all these fucked up scenarios. But, I mean, even... I think it plays, like, just like every other typical whitewashed sitcom. The only difference is that the main character is in a wheelchair. See, but that's the trouble with mainstream media. They don't know. Even if we're not just talking about sex, we're just talking about life. There's no framework for disability. Like, look at all the mainstream stuff out right now. Where is disability? And it's not because they don't want to. It's because they don't know how to market it. They're, people have come to me and said, oh, you should totally write a book. And I'm like, I know, but where would the market be? I'd, be, I'd write some book that would go with a little tiny press, and they do their best to market it. Well, Daredevil was disabled. True. Uh, the girl sucked, shot but... in the spine and turns into Oracle, becomes a one-person support network. She, yeah. Uh, yeah, but there was never a movie about that. Uh, well, you're right. Not a movie about that. Uh, how old were you the first time you did some public speaking on this? I, I've been publicly speaking most of my life. Um, but I, on this when I became a disability awareness consultant, it's a long story, but I'll shorten it. When I, I did 10 years of law at Carlton U, doing an MA and a BA in legal studies, and I realized during all my studying that I didn't want to focus on the law so much, but I wanted to focus on the lived experience of persons with disabilities. So when we talk about disability generally, we don't talk about how it feels. We'll talk about everything else around that. But no one's saying, hey, how does it feel to be in your chair today? How do you feel about this? No one's talking about the emotional impacts of what, just how it feels for me and how it would feel for you maybe encountering it for the first time. So my whole, all my work hinges on, let's talk about that and let's bring that open. And I started doing this work probably about two and a half years ago, just started contacting outlets saying, hi, I'm queer and disabled and I have a story. What can we do from that? And then it just kind of picked up from there and then I started contacting universities and, and other places being like, hi, here's what I do, what do you think? And then they would say, okay, we have a conference, do you want to come? And I'd be like, sure, okay. 
and it's just gone from there. Do you still get nervous? Not really. I mean, it's something that I, it's my life. It's my every day. So I'm not, it doesn't make me uncomfortable. Actually, I get excited to mm-hmm. talk about it because when I'm in the audience talking about my experience, I watch people's faces and I see their faces go from, oh man, I never thought about that to, wow, really, that's really cool. And you know, they're, you see their mind shift from, I never considered this to, okay, now I really want to know more. And that's really cool. So I'm, I'm not nervous. I get excited because I know that I'm imparting knowledge and I know that if someone's in the audience who also happens to have a disability, they might finally be getting to see themselves. And so a couple of talks that I did, I had kids come up to me who had both invisible and visible disabilities say, wow, I've never heard sex and disability talk about it so frankly before because I'm very crass and open in my, not crass, but I'm very, very honest mm-hmm. in my talks. And I just lay it out. I lay out my experience for what it is and say, here's, what I'm, here's what's happened to me and here's what I've done with it. And people will say, well, I've never heard it spoken like that before. That really, thank you. So I know that I'm making an impact because I'm just telling the truth and I'm trying to bring disability into, into the mainstream in a way that is honest and not, not necessarily fetishized, but not, not dishonest or not untrue. Just really trying to bring myself into the, into the mainstream so that everybody can be represented. You have any fetishes? Well, um, <laughs> gingers with muscles, but, uh, but not, I, I don't know if I have a fetish. I just like, I like spending time with sexy people, whatever comes from that. As long as, you know, there's, as long as there's discussion around how it's being done, because I think with a disability, the whole idea of the 20 minute, I don't know you, you don't know me hookup is not possible because, um, I have to plan. I have to make sure that my partner knows how my disability is. So what I do before I have any kind of sexual contact with anybody, I will storyboard my sex. So I'll sit them down and we'll draw pictures. We'll make out lists. We'll draw, we'll discuss what is possible versus what we want versus the reality. So mm. we'll do all of that together so that there, there's not necessarily a big, oh my God, I didn't realize you were that disabled and how, how do we do this moment. Um, but I, I just like spending time with sexy people and whatever comes from that, as long as we discuss stuff and we're clear that I'm happy. I don't think I have any fetishes per se, but who knows? I might. Mm. I got to just figure out what they are. <laughs> so when it comes to uh, making contact, is it some, do you go to uh, certain venues or um, is it online? Online's easiest because you guys can see from coming here today, I live at the Boons. Right. So online right now is easiest. Um, Nothing but Starbucks. Right, everywhere. yeah. It's big box chains everywhere. And, you know, because most of the, the bars in the city, try as they might, are not accessible. We're getting there, but it's not, it hasn't come full circle yet. Plus, getting downtown on transit from here is like an hour and a half. So generally, I meet people online, and if they seem cool, I'll say, let's go for coffee or come over and we'll hang out. Mm-hmm. And then if stuff goes down after we've had the discussion about what is possible, mm-hmm. great. But I mean, it, it, online has really been good for me because that's where I've met a lot of my contacts, even with the, all the work that I'm doing. Thank God for Twitter, right? Thank God for the Twitter. Yeah. Yes. Because I wouldn't be doing what I'm doing if, I didn't, if social media wasn't there. Um, but yeah, online is great for somebody with a disability just because of the logistics. It's, it's interesting how much... Uh, modern media has enabled people to connect with other people. Yes. Because if if you're trying to do this uh, even 10 years ago... Yeah, it would be really... It would have been a lot harder. So yeah? much harder because I wouldn't be able to... Like, 
that's how I found about out about your podcast. I was like, hey, I'm on Twitter. You're on Twitter. Let's have a yeah. discussion. And then it worked out from there. Um, if I had to, to go around and do, to constantly meet people face to face, which I still love doing, because I think when I sit and I look at someone's in someone's face and I tell them my story and I tell them what my mission is, they get really, you know, they get inspired. They get, wow, well, that's sure I want to work with you. So, so I think face to face meetings are important. But and the internet has always served as a great tool to improve what happens in your actual life. Yes. But it's never been the substitute. It's never been the replacement. No. But, I mean, as far back as I've even used Craigslist, I've had so many good things come from the things that I've had the opportunity to experience thanks to Craigslist or... Yeah, I mean, I would say also the internet has... I would agree with that, but I'd also say there's a dark side to it where... Because the, the positive and the negative certainly balances yeah, out. Yeah, <laughs> I would also say as being somebody who is openly disabled and openly proud about it and looking for whatever insert sexual thing here or not online, when I... When I say that I'm disabled and I openly disclose, hey, I have a disability, one come over and mess around, people will say things <laughs> like, oh, um, I don't do wheelchairs, or oh, man, you're in a chair, it's so tough, I'm sorry, I can't come over, or I just don't know how to, or I had one guy tell me that I couldn't take control of him because he couldn't throw me around, and I was like, you don't even know what you're saying, come over and I'll show you. Like, <laughs> so, you know, people just don't, they're just not aware, and the internet, the internet is a place where they can say what they think they feel without any consequence. Sure. So, I mean, I think it's a great tool, but it also needs to be tempered with, like, some some dark stuff. Yeah, but, I mean, if that's what people are thinking, I don't know what's better for them to keep it to themselves and then just live with that, or if it's better for them to say it, even if it's not what you want to hear. Yeah, I mean, I see it as an opportunity. If somebody... Like, I've had people even sit on my couch when I've agreed to have them go over for a date. And they'll be like, man, I just can't do this. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. I'm and sorry. It's rough, but, like... That's the reality, and I can't fault them for that. They just don't have the experience. But I really see disability as an opportunity versus an obstacle. So when somebody asks me, like, oh, how do you have sex? I'm like, well, come over, and I'll, I'll, show it, I'll show you. And I'll show you that, yes, it's different. It's not going to be what you expect it to be by no means. And, yeah, I need a lot of help. And, yes, I will need you to assist me in a lot of areas. But it doesn't mean you can't enjoy yourself. It doesn't mean that, you, that I won't enjoy it either. So can I claim my erectile dysfunction my small penis as a disability? Um, no. Don't you have a cue for things you want to claim as a disability? <laughs> I don't think you can claim your small penis. Is it a micro penis? Hey, pretty much. Well, then maybe you could. Maybe I think that's a thing, right? So I mean, you see the stopper that I have in my Starbucks cup. It's <laughs> wow, it's bigger than that. Well, well. <laughs> but at least it's no trouble to deep throat. That's all I'm well, saying. I mean, listen, if it's going to help somebody else, great. Now, a lot of the clubs, because I've, I've lived just off of Church Street. I've hung out on Church Street for years. Yeah. A lot of the clubs don't have, they're, they're not wheelchair accessible. This is true. They're working on it, though. I mean, I don't want to call out anybody. And I mean, there's 501, or the windows are whatever billion names has gone by. Okay, I'll let you call them out. Um, let's, let's be mindful of that. We're not saying these are bad venues. They're not these bad venues. venues just, but Certain that, that one was access. the most accessible, I would think, because it was ground, everything was ground level. Right. Right. I, I never went to that place, but I, the places that I found accessible were Woody's Great, because you can go in through the back. I didn't um, even know that. That's cool. Going through... I think a lot of people are going through the back at Woody's. Right. Isn't that kind of the point? Ching! 
funny. Oh. Uh, no. I will see myself out. Actually, on that point, though, that's I've been saying to the owners of all those clubs where you can't get into the back, put a thing, put a sign on your stuff that's like, hey, deliciously disabled patrons through the back. Hilarious. There's that's, some, oh, and yeah, it's using that great term again. Yeah, there's so many ways. The stick figure of the wheelchair, maybe yeah, a with erection. The big erection. Yeah, yeah, there's so many ways you could make it fun. And like, there are people that have said, oh, I don't want to go through the back. I want to be go through the front. Okay, great, whatever. But if back is the only way that I can get in in terms of accessibility, I'm not going to lodge you for it. I'm going to say, great, let's capitalize on that and yeah. make it accessible. Same with Black Eagle. Apparently, some people can get in through the back or be lifted in with the bouncers. That's great. I'm yeah. My chair can't because it's 300 pounds. So yeah. I'm not going to ask somebody to try to lift that. But they, you know, they are working to to do their best to get a ramp. Or I'm working with them to show them what I need. Because I keep saying, guys, I want to come and I want to promote myself and you guys are a great bar. Let's do stuff. So they are working to make it happen. I just think campaigns like Deliciously Disabled Through the Back could be really could be so fun and so different because mm-hmm. you never see that. And it's saying we, we accept you and we're working to help you. There's a story. I, I feel the need to share this Go because on. I think you'll get a kick out of it. There's a comedian named uh, Andre Aruda. You know, I was I was wondering he's, if we were going to bring him up. I've he's heard like three feet tall, I think, something yeah. like that. And he, was he, a, he has a scooter. Yeah, and he checked that. He did the little camera on Global News with you. Did he? Or City News with you months ago. That's cool. I didn't he went know all about over that. the the city with a little camera and had people. He filmed all the weird things people said to him because he's short. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Was, was so the, uh, the GoPro. Yeah, yeah. That's okay. Right, right on. We're, right on. we're at this one venue. And it was like second floor venue. So yeah. we had to carry him up first and then carry his chair up second. Yeah. So two of us carried the chair, right? So then we go to another venue like a month later or something like that. And uh, there's only three steps up that you had to do. Yeah. But there's no ramp. Yeah. So Andrea's like, look, just pick. I can walk up these three steps or whatever. And I just need someone to lift my chair those three steps. So I got one of the hosts uh, uh brilliant man, Robin Crossman, uh, to help me. And I was like, okay, well, you grab the front, I'll take the back because it's heaviest and you're a fucking pussy. Yeah. <laughs> and Andre's just looking at me smirking. I'm like, whatever. And, you know, it's, it was a funny thing. Yeah. I go to lift the back and it's a heavy chair. <laughs> oh, no. Like, I almost fucking pulled something. Yeah. And Andre's just laughing. Like, yeah, because he's a pussy. Yeah. yeah. And it's like, this is a different chair. He's like, yeah, this is the one I drive when I'm, when I'm actually out. going yeah. from a building to building as opposed to just going straight to a venue. Yeah, yeah. And he's just like, okay, so obviously there are different weights for chairs. Yeah, I know. I mean, it's just, <laughs> I mean, it's just funny. Like, you just have stuff like that. You just have to, you have to ask. You have to say, listen, I need your help. Either you're going to, like, but people have, people have been like, I'm strong. I can totally lift your chair and go to lift my chair. But like, man, it's really heavy. I'm like, mm-hmm. I told you. I told you I'm trying to lift. But okay, you did. And like, but I think the fact that people are willing to help means that they want to. They just don't know how to because they've not been exposed to it. So they see me and they go, oh, I want to help you, but I just don't know. So it's my job. Instead of being an asshole, they go, fuck you, I can't get in your bar. All right, I'll take your help. Sure, let's try. Mm-hmm. Why not make it? Let's just try. So I think that we need to start, like, deliciously disabled through the back. Awesome. I think every bar, every bar that is accessible through the back or through some sort of door should have that there. Because then... How about bathhouses? Are bathhouses... Are any of them... I was in Steamworks. There's a bit of a... A lip to get in. You can get in through the back, but there's a lip to do that. So you need somebody to lift you, which... 
at Steamworks, I'm sure it wouldn't be hard to find somebody who's strong to lift up a chair. Mm-hmm. Um, and if um, the redhead's a bonus? You know, then, it's, then just follow him into the room. Um, <laughs> just see him blushing right now. So fucking cute. But um, the trouble with the trouble with Steamworks is that the the venue itself, once you get into one of those rooms, they're really tiny because they're fuck rooms. So yeah, yeah. All you're doing is fucking there. But if you have a disability, you need more space. Because I noticed when I was in there, because I was in there taking photos for a, a photo shoot last year, and I noticed that I just, the person would have to do all the work. In my room here, I have a lift and I have things that I can assist the person. Yeah. So I can also assist in my transferring and all the stuff so they don't feel like they're the ones doing all of my care when we're also going to fuck. In a space like that, there's nothing accessible for me, so I have to rely on that person entirely. That can be tough for them, because how do you lift somebody if you don't know? If I'm meeting you for the first time, and I'm like, okay, lift me. What? I don't know. What, like, yeah. I'm expecting them to lift me on the bed and just, and just do it, but they have no context and disability, so those spaces don't lend themselves to storyboarding or sex or having the discussion, so I think those spaces need to consider accessibility, because what if I don't want to bring somebody home? Mm-hmm. What if I do want to just go to the bathhouse and mess around and then... Yeah, yeah. Leave? The whole idea of anonymous, spontaneous sex is taken away from me because I have to invite them here. This is my this is my sanctuary home space. I have to invite this person that I may or may not know into my space and like, all right, let's do it. And then people wonder why I personally might get attached because I brought you to my home and I expected that we're going to have sex and then, whereas if we were at a bathhouse... Expect sex and nothing else. Yeah. It's but having to, to do all the planning and the storyboarding, it sounds to me like it's a great way to to work out consent. Yeah. Because that's a big issue in a, in a lot of the, the, the sex world. You know, getting consent for this, getting yeah. consent for that. How consent can change yeah. in a moment's notice. Uh, and I mean at least with you saying this is what we can do, this is what we can't do. It, it really kind of clears all the yeah. the, the idea of, of uh, consent up because it's it's you're saying step by step this is what we're gonna do. This. I think consent with disability can can look differently because if you, if for me having sex sometimes the spans between when I get to be sexual with a person can last months. So I may not I may get it once and then six months later get it again. It's I'm always looking for it, but I may not because I live up the booms too. If sure. I lived fucking downtown, I'm sure I would get a dick all the time. But, <laughs> note, move me downtown so I can get dick all the time. But, um, <laughs> but no, because, I, and also because, like, when you have a disability and the spans of sex can be that long, you may agree to do something with a partner just to feel that feeling of being wanted and being sexy. Whether you agree with it or not, you might say yes because this is my only chance to be sexy for the next six months, four months. I better do it now. And I'm not going to say no because I don't want this to stop. So... I think we have to look at how disability can interplay with consent. I think storyboarding your sex is great, but I think there's a whole bunch of other stuff that can go along with that, and that's one of them, too. I mean, I've always been safe with my partners. I've never felt uncomfortable. I've never felt like they were going to harm me. I think in part, too, because when they see me, they're also scared. They've never... This is new to them. Yeah, yeah. So if they're... If I'm sensing they're a bit off, I'll use my disability to protect myself. Well, I had one partner years and years ago came over and I just didn't feel comfortable with him. I wanted him to leave almost right away. I was like, okay. And I said, you know, I'm not feeling comfortable. He persisted. And I just said, you know, I feel like my disability might start acting up. Can you, I have to call somebody. 
can you go? My disability was fine, nothing was going to happen. But he was free, he free, he was like, oh man, so sorry, I'll leave, I'll go. He left, and I was fine. But I think that there needs to be a discussion around consent, because we don't have it with disability. There's an assumption that I'm going to take whatever comes, because I'm not going to get it again. But I think that's why storyboarding your sex is great, because it does force you to, okay, what is possible? What do you want to do? What can we do? And I mean, I think we all know, if the person's weird, whether you have disability or not, you don't want them there. And that's why I think having accessible bathhouses and sex spaces would be great too, because if I'm bringing you to my home, not because I want to, but because I have to, you know, the chance for some weirdo to make, to do something weird is higher. Mm-hmm. So I think there needs to be a, a really... A, do you feel that it makes you more vulnerable? I've never felt vulnerable. I, I generally feel in control because I know I talk to the person beforehand, even if they haven't come over, we have a, a Skype and I have, you know, I make sure that I vet them before they show up as best I can. And if they show up and they're still weird, I'll say, listen, I don't want to do this. Can you go? And if they persist, I'll use whatever means I have to get them out of here. Yeah. Um, but I've never felt, I really, truly have never felt super uncomfortable to the point where I would need to like call somebody or be unsafe. But I, I have used what I needed to to get out of situations I was uncomfortable in. Yeah. And yeah, I mean you're fully functional, right? Yeah. My <laughs> are you asking me if my dick works? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. That's yeah. the question. All I can say to you is come over and I'll show you something. It's a very <laughs> rare instance of Eli using tact, but I appreciate it. Yeah, my, my every I'm growing I'm, as a person. <laughs> wow, you're growing as a person right now, I'm a kid. <laughs> Again, is, it's small, you wouldn't even notice it. Awesome. Um, oh, the microphone fell over. That's <laughs> to answer yeah, to answer your question, um come on over and I'll show you. But yes, everything does work. Just as it should. Is it, no, when you, I, I, it has to be a common question because I, I think I would think that people get confused about disabilities. Well, they assume when you see a big wheelchair like mine, they, just, they assume paralysis, and you know, eight times out of ten, they're not wrong. Um, but even with paralysis, it doesn't mean your cock doesn't work. Yeah. My, you know, I don't have paralysis, but everything works fine. People just people don't know, it. and because sex and disability is not something we ever talk about, period. When they're asked to, when they when they get a chance to discuss that, they have five thousand questions because they never. Here I am, and here I'm saying, okay, let's talk about it. So they're going, wow, I want to ask this, and I want to ask this, and I want, I need to know this. Please tell me everything. So they just want to know. But yes, to answer your original question, my dick works just fine. It's Stephen Hawking is one one true inspiration for me. Not because of what he talks about science, of but not. because he actually cheated on his wife. It is kind of awesome. I mean, That's, well, I'm not saying adultery is awesome unless you're into that, but I mean. <laughs> open the lines of communication, however long that may take. Yeah. In their case, but. I mean, I think it's really cool that, that he. I think that movie is really cool, and in one of the scenes of the movie, they, they, somebody asked him if he can get an erection, and he just kind of smiled. Because, you know, generally, everything works. Um, and if somebody can't because of accident or paralysis, there are other ways to get off. One of the things I talk about in one of my articles was why does why do we have to focus on just getting off or just penetration? If you, for me, if you blow in my earlobe, I get excited. So for for people with different body configurations, maybe blowing my blowing on their earlobe is great. Maybe like their toes play with. Maybe there are other ways to channel that sexual energy yeah. that doesn't have to be through your genitals. Well, it's. My opinion is that it's about their journey, not about the destination. Exactly. Oh, yeah. I, Everyone wants to get where they're going, but yeah. 
there's there's so much more to sensuality. Yeah, I think I think the trouble with sex is we think of it as sex and it has to be sex. There's a whole other side of it that's emotional and mental that has nothing to do with this. Completely. I would rather spend an hour with somebody in bed doing nothing. Nothing. Just being there with somebody. And that would be great because you spend time with me in a quasi-sensual environment. It's, it's, it's being present in the moment, too. Yeah. Cut, I find cuddling very intimate. Yeah, I think it's sensual. I think it's you're with you get to really be with that person. I think sex can often be mechanical and very okay. This is the sex we're having now. We're going to do this move, and with disability, that's not possible sometimes. So you have to find other ways to get off, and one of the ways to do that is to be sensual, to just spend time with the person and just see what goes from there. Do, are are people shocked when when you do uh, bring up moments of, of sensuality or, or need for sensuality? Um, I think it depends on the person. I think depending on what I was, you know, what I was looking for too. If I'm on a site just looking at my dick sock and I also don't want to cuddle, people are like, um, that's what I came here for. But I generally lay it out with people that I'm seeing or want to see. Listen, if we're going to do this, I expect some foreplay and I expect that we're going to spend some time together. Because if I'm going to let you into my world and show you how my disability interplays with all this stuff, you need to know I am a little bit. Yeah, kind of coming back to that, uh, to to the sadder story, so you can't let the other person feel like they're doing you a favor. No. You have to meet on equal terms. You have to, I have to know that whatever we do, you're also, I'm also satisfying you, whether, whether I got you off or not. Yeah. I am satisfying you. And I think when we talk about sex work and disability, that's a huge trouble I have with the narrative. The narrative tends to be, oh, Johnny needs to get off, so let's take him to the sex work and we'll give him an orgasm. As if we're giving him some great gift that he couldn't have achieved on, my own, on his own. What I think the narrative needs to be is, no, I'll go and have a sex worker if I choose to, but I can get off my own. You didn't give me anything. I, the, the, the orgasm that I'm having now has nothing to do with you. That's my body response. I'm doing that. That's not you. That's I. Yeah. So I have an issue with that. I also think movies like The Sessions are great. Have you just heard about that movie? That, I haven't. Okay, The Sessions is a movie. Helen Hunt and... Somebody that I can't remember what an actor I can't remember his name. That'll be enough for IMDb. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, Heather Hyman, somebody uh, did this movie where they talked about um, this guy whose name I also can't remember mm-hmm. from the eighties who who was paralyzed in an iron lung and he couldn't move anything except his finger and he was thirty eight and he never had sex and he couldn't he never come to orgasm so he started working with a sex worker. Who, and this is a true story. So we're working with a sex worker who, to teach him how to, to have sex. The trouble with the movie was that they made it out like, oh, he's so sad and he can't, and she's going to really assist him. And I, again, it was a great, it was a good movie because it had, it opened up the discussion and opened up, like, let's, let's Hollywood show this. But why can't the narrative, why can't I be a sex worker? Everybody asks me all the time. I want to learn about your disability. I want to know how this works. Okay, you want me to show you? you know, pay me 200 bucks an hour, come over and I'll show you, great. I'm chronically underemployed because of my disability. Why can't, you know, why isn't the narrative positive? I love my disability and I love what it stands for and what it is and that it's, it's creating a different narrative, but you really want to learn? Great, come, I'll show you. Then, during during our session, you can ask me all those inappropriate questions because you're paying me. Sure. There's no emotional connection there. I mean, I think there is emotional when you have sex any, with anyone, but there's not... We're going to be boyfriends or girlfriends tomorrow. You, we're doing this. I'm teaching you, and you're 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 paying me. Why? I think that would be really fantastic. 
and a different way to look at it. Can you imagine if the movie was the other way around? I'm the expert giving you the gift of disability mm -hmm. through sex. Why not? I think it's, uh, it has potential to start as an SNL sketch and we'll work our way from Right? That. Yeah. I'm done with that. It's the standard of quality on that. But thing. I mean, anyways, there's, there certainly are workers who have disabilities that, that do that kind of work. Um, and I think we need to expose them more. No, but I mean, and again, there, there are different degrees, in my opinion, of disability. Okay? Yes. I need glasses for my disability. Your and that your is dick doesn't work. That am I? Well, you know, could be a disability. Could could be a disability. Um, God damn it, Eli! <laughs> microphone's over. Um, but I mean, to me, that's my disability is is never an issue. Nobody looks at it and says, "Well, how does this yeah. change?" You know, whereas someone, let's say, uh, um, missing a limb, that's. Because it's visible, because I see it right away, and it interrupts. Yeah, there's, um, there's this YouTube show that I watch. They they talk about game design because I'm a huge game freak. But I had a feeling they mentioned. Yeah, you can talk. Yeah. Uh, they mentioned this the feeling of uncanny, which is when something feels out of place and it makes you unsettled. Yeah, uh, Eli wearing glasses not so uncanny. We're used to glasses. Andrew in a chair. Guy in a wheelchair, a bit uncanny. Yeah. It, I think that I think that's a really powerful tool. Actually, I love that I I love that I disrupt people's thoughts and they they get a bit afraid and they get unsure yeah. because then my job right after right after I make them uncomfortable, that's part one. Is to make them comfortable. Yeah, to make them see that it's it is different. It's never going to be what you expect. But let's talk about what makes you uncomfortable. Let's talk about how you feel about it. Why are you uncomfortable? What to say that your feeling is valid? That's okay. If I just shut you down. If I was with somebody and we were hanging out and having a moment where we didn't have clothes on, and they said, I'm not comfortable, I wouldn't throw them in bed. It's okay, tell me why. Explain why. What can we do to yeah. improve the situation? How can, well, you know, why are you uncomfortable? What, how can I help you? Because disability is so new, and you're asking somebody to come over and do something they've never done before, and you're saying, all right, well, I simply expect it. That's not fair. You have to also expect that they're uncomfortable, and that they... If you... Let me put it this way to you. If you had a partner who had four arms and you didn't know and you met them online and they didn't tell you and they showed up at your door with four arms or they did tell you and they still showed up at your door with four arms, wouldn't you take a minute and be like, wow, I've never... Uh, I'd be taken aback a bit, but then I'd think about how many other four arms. You know, like, hey, there's one on my cock and then one on my balls and maybe one playing with my little asshole. Uh, and by little asshole, I mean my, my sphincter, not like thanks, my son. Thanks for yeah. that. <laughs> wow, thanks for that really weird visual. Um, no, but I think, you know, that's the same analogy. They're coming to a world they have no context of, and you need to make sure they're comfortable too, and it's expected that they're going to be unsure and that they need guidance, and I'm the expert. So if I'm the expert, why can't I use what I know to make you comfortable? We're coming up on the um, about ten minutes left in the episode. There is one question that I really would like to ask. Yes, you, of course. Which is, what would be your ideal uh, relationship? Would you like to see yourself doing the just the monogamous one partner long term? Would you like to see multiple partners? I've thought about that recently a lot. Actually, it's funny you bring that up. I've thought about it a lot on my own time because yeah, for me, I have a lot of I have a lot of care needs. And my biggest fear about being in a monogamous relationship with somebody is that the, my burden of care and what I require in my life will be put on this person. Now, I have 
caregivers that come in and do my care when I need them to. But let's say I want to go on a romantic date with my person, and I don't want a caregiver, or I can't find somebody to do my care. That duty will will fall to them, and my fear is that eventually they would you know resent me because of having to do sure. all the work. It's a lot of hard work. I'm not going to pretend like taking care of me is always the easiest. So my idea of I would like to explore some polyamory ideas or non-monogamous just because it would take the burden off of somebody just as my primary mm-hmm. partner who would have to do all the work. Yeah, this raises a really good issue because what if this monogamous system just isn't practical for the person? Yeah. Do you do you suck it up and go for it anyways? Well, that's, yeah. that's I, I mean, I feel that way about my depression at yeah. times that I'm a burden to people yeah. due to my depression. And so I can only imagine, can't even imagine what it's like for you because your care needs are greater. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think that depends. I think I, I've been, I've had depression too, so I understand exactly what you're saying. But I think that it's just, I wouldn't want to put that on somebody. I really don't want to make somebody feel like they, like, what if I had an accident? We were hanging out romantically and I need you to clean me. What, you know, things that are really, that, that's truly what would happen. Or, Date German guys. Apparently they love Scheiser. Wow. <laughs> I don't know if I love Scheiser. I've seen some work that comes out of Germany. I can see where Eli's coming from this. Buff, red-headed Germans. <laughs> you, like, you like shit? Great. Hot. Um, no, but... You find I, all that out, then you find out he's a neo-Nazi. Do you proceed? <laughs> well, I'm a Jew, so... No, I don't. Okay. <laughs> I run the fuck away. <laughs> You're a Jew? Fuck, we should never do that. Uh, you've got the trifecta now. Jew, gay, and disabled trifecta. I'm Hitler's trifecta. I was yeah. the first to go. <laughs> It was 1945. I would have been the first to go. Um, no, but I think it, it does raise a good point where you said that, um, you know, monogamy is something that I... And I've never been in a long-term relationship with anybody because I've been afraid of how does my disability play with this? Will somebody want to stay? Will they... Am I too much? So I haven't... I've never explored that. I want to, but I think that non-monogamy would be the best for me just because of my reality. And it would put the burden off of one person... And I could have a team of lovers that would come in and, you know, that would, we'd, they, we'd alternate. I don't know. But I think monogamy with disability can be tough. Yeah, I, I have my moments of monogamy. But I like having the option. Yeah. I'm going to be monogamous to you for this stretch of time because I want to. And because that's, I want to feel closer to you. But don't think for a second that next month I'm not going to go out and fuck someone else. Yeah. Because I think if I got, I think if I got married and I agreed, you're not only marrying me, you're also marrying my disability in that reality too. Yeah. I don't want to put that on somebody that's not ready for it, and that's a lot of work. It's a lot of work, and I in Ontario I would find a way to get care, but if if I was living somewhere else, care might not be an option. Do you think it's it's fair of you to make that assumption for prospective partners? No, I think if they want to, if they if they want to go all in, go all in. But I'm gonna lay out for you what it is and what yeah. the reality is. I'm gonna say, listen, you have the option to decide. Do you want to stay, or would you? Let, I'm not gonna make somebody stay, but if they, if they, they need to know what they're getting into, yeah, they need to know the reality. All right, uh, Andrew, what's what's in store for us from you in 2015? Well, I'm hoping to make deliciously disabled a brand, so I'm working on getting that done, and I'm I'm. Contacting anybody that's listening that wants to help me brand this. I'm always around. We'll figure it out. Um, I'm doing a talk in the States 
next month on sex and disability for Illinois State University for their trans um, queer conference. Nice. So that's awesome. Hopefully do more podcasts. Deliciously Disabled My Show is on Voices for Ability Radio every Monday at 9. Okay, um, so I'm doing a lot this year. And you're always welcome. The website for that? The website for that is uh, voicesforability.com. Voices and the number four ability.com and then the player. Okay. Um, and you can always find my stuff at andrewmorrisongerza.com. Excellent. Andrew, thank you for having us in your home. You're always welcome to come back on the show. Amazing. I would love to come back. Thank you so much. But not until Joe puts in an elevator. All right. Well, fantastic. We'll work on the, We'll work on that for next <laughs> All right. I'm uh, trying to knock over the microphone. <laughs> <laughs> Tune in in, in two more weeks when uh, we will have... Someone else talking about <laughs> We'll have someone else on the show. Uh, the greatest uh, exit Between ever. the host and the producer, we have no idea what the fuck's happening next. Uh, we'll edit this one later. Amazing. We'll edit eventually. Okay. We're out.